Shalom. This is Gary Duroshinsky, Congregational Leader of Beth Ariel Messianic Congregation. Thank you for downloading our message. We're delighted to make it available to you through the generous donations of our members and friends at Beth Ariel. We know that many are struggling financially because of the challenges facing our economy, and we do not want financial issues to keep anyone from enjoying our teachings. So please continue to listen in as often as you like. But if our presentations have been beneficial to you, and you are able to provide a financial donation to Beth Ariel, whether large or small, would you prayerfully consider sending a gift in support of our ministry? You can donate online through our website at BethAriel.org. That is spelled B-E-T-H-A-R-I-E-L.org. Also, please remember to pray for us that we would be responsive to the Lord's guidance as we reach out to the lost sheep of the House of Israel in the greater Los Angeles area. Thank you, and I hope you enjoyed this message. But if I could, I'd like to talk about the glory of the Lord's return. There's, so, you know, I wish I had a whole lot more time because there's so much to be said about this. Forget about the glory with respect to the return of the Lord, the glory with respect to his first coming. His first coming is all pictured with the glory of God. When we talk about the glory of God, we're talking about the Shekinah glory. We're talking about that brilliance, the shininess of Messiah that reflects the very magnitude of the Lord himself. And so when the Lord comes into this world, right, you've got the Magi from the east that are following the Shekinah glory, the star in the heaven it's referred to, a burning object. It's the Shekinah glory that's leading them from the east to the west in order to find Messiah. And the Shekinah glory hovers over the home, much like the Shekinah glory hovered over the mercy seat in the Holy of Holies, hovered over the home in which Yeshua was when the Magi got there. And he, at that point, was about two years old. When Yeshua was just an infant, he was brought to the temple to be dedicated to the Lord. And there, Simeon and Anna meet up with Messiah. And when Simeon sees Messiah, he gives praise to God because the Lord told him he wouldn't die until he saw the Messiah of Israel. As an infant, he said, now, O Lord, I can go to be with you. You fulfilled your promise because my eyes have seen the salvation. Isn't that an incredible phrase? The salvation of Israel. And then he says, this one is for the uh, glory of my people Israel. Again, the glory associated with Messiah. In John chapter 2, when Messiah fulfills or performs his very first messianic miracle, when he multiplies or transforms the water into wine, and the disciples reflect on what they saw, that says that this was his first of sign messianic miracles. And then it says, and they saw the glory of God in that miracle. Later, Yeshua will say in John chapter 12 or so, just before he goes to the cross, he says to the Father that he would manifest his glory as he had with him from the beginning, just before he goes to the cross, just before he goes to his death to provide atonement for our sin. And at the end of his messianic ministry, his redemptive ministry, it says that he ascends up to heaven and a cloud, the Shekinah glory, receives him out of the disciple's sight. And when the Lord is um, spoken to, not just spoken to, but sort of 
uh, adjured, I guess is the term that's, that's used by the high priest. He says, I adjure you by the living God. Are you the Messiah? In Matthew 20, I guess it's 26 or so. And Yeshua says, yes, I am. And the next time you see me, I'll be coming in the clouds of heaven with great power and glory. In fact, in Matthew chapter 24, he says to the disciples with regard to his return, he said he'd be coming on the clouds of heaven. Everyone will see the sign of the Son of Man in the heavens. And it says that he would come in the clouds of heaven with great glory. The glory, of course, is the Shekinah glory. The sign, of course, is the presence of the Shekinah glory once again. I say once again. Why? Because the Shekinah glory departed. There was a time in which the Shekinah glory hovered over Israel. Remember when the Shekinah glory brought Israel out of Egypt, the cloud by day, the pillar of fire by night. And then the cloud of Messiah's, of God's glory hovered over the mercy seat in the Holy of Holies. So where did it go? What happened? Now, if you look at Isaiah 40, uh, excuse me, Ezekiel chapter 43, where I asked you to turn, it's in that passage that with respect to the return of Messiah, the coming of Messiah to establish his kingdom, that glory will permeate his appearing. And in Ezekiel 43, some four or five times in these few verses, glory of Messiah is made reference to. Listen to these words. Then he, the Lord, led Ezekiel to the gate the gate facing east, the eastern gate, which faces the valley of Jehoshaphat, the Kidron Valley, and then up to the Mount of Olives, facing east. And then it says, and behold, here it is the first time, the glory of the God of Israel was coming from the east, and the sound of his coming was like the sound of many waters. You know, yesterday I had a chance to get out on the water with Anthony, and the waves, for me, for him, it was like, you know, just a little roller coaster ride. For me, it was like, oh, my goodness, what am I doing out here with these guys? You know, you're like sitting on the board. You're out there in the water. And, you know, it's kind of nice. Then all of a sudden, there's this, these series of waves, and they start building and building. They were only about four feet at most. But when you're on a board, and you're down in the trough, and you see the waves, and then you see four feet on top, oh, my goodness, it is just so incredible, you know. And then when those waves come down and bang, you know, it's like the sound of these rushing waters. It's so powerful and amazing. I actually love it. I just love sitting on the board and going for the ride and being thrashed, you know, if I don't make it up onto my knee. That's where I am right now. But in any case, it is just so incredible. And it just, when, you, when you're there, it just makes this indelible impression on your mind. So much so, you know, as a sailor, if you go out sailing for a fairly lengthy time, for me, and then I come in, I take a shower, I'm in the shower, I close my eyes, I can feel the boat, you know, sort of moving. Well, this morning when I was in the shower getting ready for, to come to service, I closed my eyes, I could see the water just ready to just come right on up and over. It was so, so wonderful, you know, for me. And you see the colors and the sound and the power and so here it says, not only did he see the glory of God, but he heard his coming, and it was like the sound of rushing, powerful, smashing waters, you know. And then it says, and the earth shone with his glory. There's the second time. And the vision I saw was just like the vision I had seen when he came to destroy the city, came with power. 
as the glory, looking at verse 4 now, as the glory, third time, of the Lord entered the temple by the gate facing east. Look at this. The Spirit of God lifts him up and brought him into the inner court. And behold, there it is again. The glory of the Lord fills the temple. So when Messiah comes, the prophets are predicting the return of the glory of God when Messiah appears. And the glory of God will come from the east. Now, why does it have to come? Why is it? Where is it? How has it disappeared? Well, if we were to go back into the book of Ezekiel, we don't have time to do this, but in chapters 8, 9, and 10, you'll read of the theme, Ich Kavod. You know, Ichabod Crane, his name is a Hebrew name, Ich Kavod, which means the glory, Kavod. It means to be heavy. The glory, Ich, is gone. The glory has departed. And so in in Ezekiel 8, 9, and 10, we read, because of Israel's sin, it's repeated over and over and over again. Because of Israel's sin, the glory of God departs from Israel. And what Ezekiel sees, he sees the smoke in the Holy of Holies rise up and begin to move. And the cherubim hover around the glory of God. And he starts seeing this angelic presence begin to hover around the glory, the smoke, lifting it up. And then the glory begins to move. And it moves through the veil of the temple separating the Holy of Holies from the holy place. And it moves out from the gate that that one would enter, the priest would enter into the holy place. And then it moved out through the court of the Israelites, the court of the women, out of the beautiful gate. It hovers east over the Mount of Olives, heads up into the heavens, and has disappeared and it is gone, never to be seen again until the Magi see it, leading them to the birthplace, maybe not the birthplace, but the place where Messiah is when he's two years old. Is that not incredible? And now we're told, Ezekiel tells us, the glory of God, Ezekiel 43, will return in the way that it went. It will come from the east, from the sky, from the Mount of Olives, through the beautiful gate, back into the court of the women, the court of the men, into the holy place, through the veil, back into the temple that Messiah will build and where he will reign from. Ezekiel tells us that as well. We just don't have time to look at it all. But here's another cool thing. If you turn from Ezekiel, go to the last or the second to the last of the minor prophets, Zechariah, called a minor because their chapters are smaller, not because it's a shorter book, not because it is a less significant book. But if you look at Ezekiel chapter 14, we're told in verse 3, uh, verse three then the Lord will go out and fight against those nations as when he fought on the day of battle. It's interesting to look at that phrase, the day of battle. It comes up in the book of Joshua. When Joshua conquers all the nations in the promised land. He finally, he, when Joshua entered the land, he came from the east and he came into Jericho, Ai, and then he split the land in half. And then he fought against the southern coalition of enemies and then the north. And he decimates the whole land of Israel because of the power of God. And when he concludes his victory over all the nations, it says that he was able to do this because the Lord fought for him on the day of battle. 
So when Israel conquers the nations around them, it's because God fought in their behalf. And this is what Ezekiel says, at the end of time, the nations that have persecuted Israel, oppressed Israel, opposed Israel, will be vanquished. Why? Because the Lord will go in battle against Israel's enemies. And look what happens. It says in verse 4, And on that day his feet shall stand on the Mount of Olives. Whose feet? God is spirit. They that worship him must worship him in spirit and truth. God does not have feet. But the second person of the triunity who has come in our world and is become incarnate as a human being can have feet. And so the feet of the one who will destroy Israel, who is referred to as on the day of the battle of the Lord, on the day of the Lord goes to battle, is none other than the Messiah of Israel. It's his feet that will stand on the Mount of Olives. And how did Messiah depart after his redemptive first coming ministry? He was on the Mount of Olives. He was on the mountain east of Jerusalem, it says in Acts chapter 1. And he was... He just ascended up into heaven, and he was received into heaven by a bright cloud that overshadowed them. The disciples are looking and saying, what's going on? And the angel, an angel comes and says, why are you looking up into the sky? The same Yeshua that you saw go will come in like manner. And Ezekiel, Zechariah has already told us that in chapter 14. When he comes, we're going to see him on the Mount of Olives once again. And Zechariah tells us there'll be a great earthquake, a valley will be formed, and Messiah will enter Jerusalem by way of going through that valley leading into the city of Jerusalem. And there he will rebuild the temple, establish his throne, reign from there, and be the high priest king that he is in the fullest sense of the word. So the prophets predicted the glory of of the return of the Lord. But not only did the prophets predict the glory of the return of the Lord, but there is also what we may refer to as a prefiguration of the glory of the return of the Lord or a picture of it for us. If you would, turn to Matthew chapter 17. And in Matthew chapter 17, we read of this incredible moment when shortly before... Messiah asks the questions, who do individuals say that I am and who do you say that I am? And Peter stands up and says, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. And then shortly after all of this encounter and confession and statement is made, if you look at the last verse of chapter 16, which really ought to be the first verse of chapter 17, it says, truly I say to you, There are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. Now, it's very important because I remember back in the 70s when I first came to faith and we read this passage, we would say, wow, there's some that are still alive who were living there in the time of Messiah 2,000 years ago. Are there some among his disciples who will stay alive until the return of Messiah and he's hanging out somewhere, maybe in a cave, a monastery, or, or somewhere in a remote part of the world so we can never find him? You know, that's how we were thinking. Of course, we didn't really know how to understand the Bible very well back then. But if you take a look, we're told, first of all, notice this. He says, they will see the Son of Man coming. That's a phrase out of Daniel. We don't have time to look at it, but Daniel chapter 7 That's a title that Messiah is given that denotes his deity, 
that denotes him being not merely human, but being God in all of what the term means. If you look at Daniel 7, you'll see Daniel saw one like the Son of Man to whom was given an eternal kingdom. The only way you can have an eternal kingdom is if you yourself are eternal. And the only way you could be eternal is if you're God. And so he's called the Son of Man, and it denotes his eternality and his rulership over all of creation. So Messiah, by the way, this is the most common term or title he uses for himself. He rarely calls himself the Son of God. He always calls himself, or often, most often, calls himself the Son of Man. And so when he talks about being the Son of Man, it is only natural he would talk about the kingdom, which he as the Son of Man is to inherit. And so he says, there are some standing right here who will not die until they see the kingdom The Son of Man coming into his kingdom. Now look at Matthew chapter 17. Because it's there that some of these disciples of his see him as the Son of Man in the kingdom. Look what it says. After six days, Yeshua took Peter, James, and John. Those are the three of the twelve who will see Messiah coming in his kingdom. And he took them up on a high mountain. And he was transfigured before them, and his face shone like the sun. His clothes became white as light. And behold, there appeared to them Moses and Elijah talking with him. And Peter said to Yeshua, Lord, it is good that we are here. If you wish, I will make three sukkah booths here, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. He was still speaking, and a bright cloud, there's the Shekinah glory, overshadowed them. And a voice from the cloud said, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. So while the prophets predicted the glory of the return of the Lord, Messiah himself provided a picture, a prefiguration of him coming in his glory during the time of his kingdom. And notice there too, we have the bright cloud, the Shekinah glory that is present. And from that cloud, God speaks and says, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. Now check this out. In the book of Revelation, toward the end in chapter 19, when Messiah comes, again, it's a focus on the glory of God. In chapter 19, as the Lord appears, they say, hallelujah, salvation and glory and power belong to our God. And then if you go further in chapter 19, they're told, let us rejoice and exalt and give him the glory for the marriage of the lamb has come. And look at this, for the testimony in verse 7, for the testimony, or 10, for the testimony of Yeshua is the spirit of prophecy. The purpose of prophecy is to bring glory and honor to Messiah. The testimony of the prophets is Messiah in all of his glory. So when the prophets speak of him, yes, they speak of him as a suffering servant, but they also speak of him as the suffering servant as a prelude to his glorification. And when he comes, he's coming the way he left. In even the very same geographical pattern is the way that he's going to come. And when he comes, he will come in all of his glory. It is predicted, it is prefigured or pictured. And one last thing. If we were not to acknowledge it, what is really interesting in Scripture is it is perceived by all of creation. 
So Paul says in Romans chapter 8, all of creation is groaning, waiting for the redemptive moment when the Messiah will come and bring order to the world and the creation that has been disturbed. If you have your finger still in Zechariah chapter 14, look at what he tells us about this. He says in verse 6, on that day there shall be no light, cold, or frost. Of course, we don't have that here, right, in Southern California, right? So we're get, we already are getting practice for it. But on that day, there'll be no light, cold, or frost, and there shall be a unique day, which is known to the Lord, neither day nor night, but at evening time there shall be light. In, in other words, all of creation is going to be affected, so that light and day is sort of changed. It's different. And the glory of God will be permeating, which will make that difference. And further, it says, look at verse 8. On that day, living waters shall flow out from Jerusalem, out from the throne of Messiah, out from the temple. And look what it says. Part of it will flow to the eastern sea. That's this Dead Sea, the uh, Salt Sea. And part of it will flow to the western sea. It will continue in summer as in winter. And so there's all these statements. And if you look at Joel, this is really a cool verse. In Joel chapter 3, in that day, verse 18, the mountain shall drip sweet wine and the hills shall flow with milk and all the seabeds of Judah will flow with water. And a fountain shall come forth from the house of the Lord and water the entire valley. When the Lord comes in all of his glory, it's something that has been predicted by the prophets. It's something that Messiah has prefigured for us to see. It's something that the creation itself is anticipating, is perceiving, and is waiting for. In other words, all of reality is dramatically changed. Because Messiah has come and the glory of God has impacted the entire universe and the entire world. And so what do we do with this? So let me just leave you with two things. In Psalm 2, it says, kiss the Son. Which is another way of saying, worship the Son. Worship the Messiah. If all these things are as they say, we should worship him and bow before him. And as I shared last week in Acts 3, where Peter stands up and proclaims to those that are hearing him, he says, repent that the time of restoration of all things might come about. That which is holding up the glory of God manifesting self, itself as it will. And it manifests itself in coordination with Messiah's coming. If there's anything holding it up, it is our world, our, all of humanity failing to worship him and failing to repent of his sin. If we want to experience the glory of Messiah, even on a small personal scale, it starts with the worship of him and the repenting of our sin. That's why we celebrate the Lord's Supper. And that's why we did that this morning. That what Messiah has done in his first coming was because of our need. And what Messiah will do with regard to his second coming 
is to bring about the completion of his work of redemption as all things are restored and made right. So let's pray and let's ask the Lord to work on our own hearts that we would be made right, that we would be a holy people, that we would be a worshipful people who kiss the sun and a people who are always mindful of our own sin and therefore of our ongoing need to confess our sin, to repent of our sin, and to be cleansed by the great grace and work of our Messiah. So let's pray. Thank you for listening to our message. We hope that it serves to encourage you in your walk with the Lord and your service to Him. Do remember us in your prayers, and if you are able to provide a financial donation to Beth Ariel, whether large or small, would you prayerfully consider sending a gift in support of our ministry? You can donate online through our website at BethAriel.org. That is spelled B-E-T-H-A-R-I-E-L dot org. Thank you again, and may our Heavenly Father richly bless you as you continue to follow Him. Shalom, shalom.